Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Osiris. <laughs> Our dad. Uh, we'll talk offline. But first, we'll talk online. Hey, everybody. I was just trying to quote Barbie. I understand. <laughs> you did a you good job. It. How's everybody doing? <laughs> How's everything good. going, guys? Doing well. We're good. We're How are you guys? Yeah. Don't ever tonight is a very important <laughs> night. Can I, can I tell you guys tonight is a very important night? Like tell us. Very, why very why is tonight night. important, Brian? Why? Um, apologies in advance, Jonathan, but uh, Goose is I playing in Missoula, Montana. Sports. Uh, <laughs> sports <laughs> they have not played huey lewis yet no i'm sorry um but goose is playing missoula montana and i personally just have a lot riding on this this is my favorite place in the entire world and the idea that these guys are eating at like the bridge pizza right now or taco del sol or god forbid the shack please rick peter if you're listening to this and you need breakfast do not go to the shack please just don't do it it's, it's always delayed and cold and it's awful but like they're playing at the kettle house amphitheater outside missoula you can take a bus from my two favorite bars in missoula to get to this venue and it is like right at this bank in the bitter river just like 15 miles outside of town it's absolutely gorgeous i can't wait to webcast and uh, i just hope that they play a really good show so that's what's happening right now that's how I, I felt like that when when Goose played in Livingston and then like the Disco Biscuits played there and that's like the place in Montana that I wanted to tell them to go like, here's all this like the six places you have to go. Um, but then I yeah. But then I didn't tell anyone anything because I was like, nah. I'm Those not were great shows when they opinion. played Livingston. It's a really cool spot. Yeah. Pine Creek Lodge. Really spot. Yeah. How you guys doing? How's everything going? Everyone good? Not bad. Can, yeah, can, I talk about can I talk yeah, about please. something that only I care about, maybe? Yes. 
Um, just real quick, Please. Um, because some people may not know uh, that I have I have an album coming out in October on October sixth, and um, they can you can find it on my Bandcamp jmhart.bandcamp.com, and there's a couple singles that you can listen to now. Uh, one came out today. And uh, yeah, please check it out. That's all. Thank you for allowing me to plug my things. It's called So Below, if you didn't mention. Oh, that's it true. A, the album is called So Below. That's the album title. Such a good it's title. A cool Such a good title. Yeah. Um, I think there's more than more people that care about it than just you, Jonathan. Quite. Okay. Definitely. So everyone who's listening, give us, you know, Check out Jonathan's music and then tell us that you checked it out so that we know that you're alive. Um, okay, so guys, we're in 2010. I feel like we we really haven't all been together for one of these in, in quite some time. So you're going to get the full treatment today. Um, we are in 3.0. I wasn't... I said last week, I went to a lot of shows in 2009 and then I kind of stopped going to shows for a while. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't see very many in 2010 and 2011. Um, But so like, I remember listening to like the Berkeley shows and probably some others, the show that we'll talk about today, but where was everyone on their, uh, on their fish journey in, in 2010? I saw a bunch in 09 and then I backed off a little but I was still excited. I just think that the dates didn't line up for me the way they did in 09. And I also didn't have a Hampton run that would give me a solid like block of three to add to whatever else I saw. Um, But I was, I was still excited. How about that? I talked about a lot during our hiatus episodes that I had like a, like a 48 or a, 24 month period in time where I was just thinking about fish and I wasn't listening to a lot of fish. I was listening to a lot of other music. And when the, even when the announcement came, I wasn't really on board with it. And I mean, still remember like Hampton, I was following those shows from afar, but there was no webcast. There was no couch tour of any kind at that point in time. It wasn't really until parts of June 09 when I rejoined fantasy tour and, um, people were couch touring shows. People were like holding out their cell phones and filming shows that like it all started coming back and like the stats, the lore, there were a bunch of shows that like, I just hadn't had just like overlooked like full tours during kind of the height of my fandom in the early two thousands. And here we were five years later and like the internet was so much better. I could just download just shows in mass quantity. And I was running through full tours. I'd never really listened to. And I was learning a ton about the history of the band. And I felt like there were rabbit holes in 2009 and 2010 that I was learning about with fish. that I just missed because of my age and because of when I came on the scene. And so in 2010, I was probably as aside from like, 2013 i was the most online about fish as i've ever been i was on message boards constantly i was talking with people all the time uh there was a lot for me like personally just invested in this band i was telling um uh you guys in the thread yesterday i i i looked at this almost like following like a sports team that like every night 
there was, you know, essentially a game. Like every time that they were on tour, there was there was something to be excited about that night. And there was a lot riding on these shows. We're going to talk about it when we get into this show. But there were these like fits and spurts of moments of total brilliance and total connectedness. And like the ability to hear past versions of Fish now at an older age. But there were also a lot of stretches where the band was clearly figuring things out and taking it kind of a one step forward, two steps back approach. Um, there's a lot of vulnerability in their music. And so for me, I was totally invested, but also pretty aware that I was not seeing the peak version of this band and wondering if I was going to be able to ever see that again. Yeah, I was at an interesting spot. I was like very much still with my young kids. I had my second daughter in January of 2010 and I went down to Raleigh, the show at Walnut Creek, like those shows coincided right before our like beach vacation that we take in North Carolina with my family. And so I flew down with my six month old and left my six month old with my sister's friend at her apartment and took my sister <laughs> and all my college friends to our first, like my sister's first show and all my college friends went. And it was like the first time I had like partied since I had my second daughter and I was I went wild. And I it was the first time I had like a smartphone or like a, a phone that I could take a picture with in the show. And so I found today a picture of me and my girlfriend from that show inside the show that I took on her phone. And the only reason I still have the photo is because it was her, it's like what I use for her contact and it's kept over oh all these years. Yeah. Nice. So I still have it. Yeah. And so that's the only photo that I have from like so long ago of me, like inside a show. I mean, there's very few of them. Wow. And it's so cool to think back that, that was then. And I remember that night, it was gorgeous out. It was so fun. We were in the lot. My friend grilled like pork, like tacos in the lot. And I was like, oh, this is how like adults Legit. fish. Like we're like great. Like, you know how <laughs> Can you tell me more about now. the tacos? What they kind were of pork? so good. So like my friend Penny. Butt? Like cooked over the course of the probably. day? Probably. Well, I don't know. Yes, it was cooked before or actually have a picture of Kenny making them. I can okay. I will text yeah. it to you guys. It's please, a picture of him on like do. a little grill. I think it was Would like Kenny to send us the recipe though. We want to know about the marinade or rub okay. what was involved. I will. Yeah. It was super I'm legit. Tomorrow, I think we so also I need it as quickly as possible. Okay. Yeah. I can do that, guys. I'm on it. I mean, it depends if Kenny's gonna <laughs> write me back. We'll, we'll see if he's listening. But there's like pineapple. It was like it was real. It was really good. And I just remember thinking, this is just, and I kept running into all these people that I had like hadn't seen in so long since college. And I felt like it was the first time I tapped into that, like what it was like to go to fish when I was really young. And I was just so excited to be there. That show was, it was a great show. It wasn't like amazing, but it was super fun. They opened with llama because somebody had like a llama sign, you know, it was like the summer of signs. And like, it was just super fun. And really good and light. I remember- yeah, the light's beautiful, like really great jam. And then there's that like 10-minute encore of Boogie On, which is like one of my favorites. It was just so fun. And I remember dancing so hard all night and feeling like really young again for the first time since having kids. And it was kind of that moment when I remembered that I could go to this place and access these feelings again. And so it was really kind of like, I'll never forget that night. It was really memorable. So 2010 really stands out for me. But I was still only seeing them like once or twice a year at this point. Yeah, I want to piggyback on Brian's comment about like the cell phone streams. So while I only went to a few shows, uh, you know, I think I went to Camden and Merriweather. Um, it's before I got over Merriweather. Um, 
the uh the the can- <laughs> the cell phone streams were were happening and they were terrible and we were definitely Horrible. still hanging on every <laughs> bit of it. Amazing. Um, They're amazing. Like the things we listened to. And then and then we'd get the live fish download and we'd be like, eh, this could sound better. Like what? <laughs> it's such a massive upgrade from what I sat through listening through my laptop speakers or whatever, you know, oh. on the night. And um it was it, you're bringing back like a really good memory my my brother and i the night of meriwether night two found a stream and we were sitting on my parents porch like my dad had made steak that night we were both i was back home from living in south korea my brother had just graduated college we were like home for the summer before we went off and started to live our lives and we found this shitty shitty stream of the meriwether uh night two second set and it's like the saw it again piper jumping jack oh, flash yeah. second set it's still one of the most enjoyable fish experiences i've ever had listening to this like crackly set where like there's so much bass and there's so much like reverb in the room because someone's just like holding up a tiny little microphone but oh my god, man! Like we felt what was happening to you guys in Columbia, Maryland, and like that experience of understanding that you could be so far away, but hearing this live in the moment was just contagious. I mean, it's one of the reasons why webcasts continue to be one of my favorite things and one of my favorite ways to experience live music. Yeah, I kind of feel like um, that Merryweather show that you're describing might be one of those you know, never miss a Sunday show moments because I think it's the origin of it. Um, in a lot, it of is yeah. because yeah. I did. Wow. I went to the Saturday show and I was like, I'm not dealing with getting home from Meriwether post because I got to get up and go to work on Mon- on Sunday morning. And, uh, and so that happened. Um, yeah. Cause I went to the other night I went to the first night. Um, but man, what are you going to do? Um, I did go like, to camden and portsmouth prior to yeah. that so you know i think it was that show it was camden the summer before with the big sand it was the albany oh, seven below ghost uh alpine night to 20 2009 was really good these all these sunday night shows where it suddenly became this momentum of when fish takes stage on a sunday magic is going to happen it's going to be a lighter crowd but it's really going to be the dedicated fans that are there not you know your Saturday Merriweather show had a really good rock and roll. Uh, I mean, it was a fine and good show. Um, I didn't complain about it at the time, and I won't now. But I will point out that I did not select it for our conversation today. Did not. Well, no. <laughs> well, now's the now's the part in the show where we get directly into the show we're talking about. Ten twenty to twenty ten. Just kidding. That's going to happen. Yeah, in like we got all minutes. that context. <laughs> <still. laughs> it's not how this works. If you're just if you're just here for the fish talk, come back in about fifteen minutes. <laughs> maybe twenty to be safe. Yeah, maybe five. Should we? Yeah. Should we take a ride to Meg's corner to really understand what was going on with fish in two thousand and ten, the year we made contact, if you will? Sorry, I won't make that joke any more than three times. <laughs> yeah, let's go to Meg's corner. Come on, guys. Come on over. It's nice over here. Um, the year starts. Sorry, that was Thanks, really Brian. bad. White there's, boy song. There's the no, long yeah, the- <laughs> There's nothing to thank me no. for that. That was horrible. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate it since RJ stopped putting in my theme music. It's okay, but um, you did. You know, it's fine. Got lazy. It's just, it's just an, it's just an admin thing. I know. We lost it's an intern fine. a couple of weeks ago, uh, yeah. and we've mm-hmm. got to hire a new one. You know, just in, they'll go back and they'll backlog it yeah. so that everyone who's following this series in reverse will hear it. In reverse, that would be a cool way to do this. 
Maybe somebody I will. Maybe. Maybe. The episodes um, will get shorter. <laughs> you think? <laughs> I think they may have, yeah. Have they? <laughs> well, hopefully they'll get longer again. We can only hope. Um, well, this Meg's Corner won't take too long, hopefully. But um, in February, Trey's going to go on tour with Classic Tab. And um, Mike's going to go on tour in March. Um, in March 2010, Trey is going to induct Genesis into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is amazing. And the band's going to perform Watcher of the Skies and No Reply at all at the event. Did you want to say I'm something, Jonathan? St- yes, because we need the band to bring Watcher in the Skies oh to the stage mm-hmm. for the audience that didn't pay $1,500 a plate Uh Anyways, yeah, so that's all. That's all I got. 100%. 100% yeah, agree. I totally Unbelievable agree cover. So fun. Um, August 30th, sorry, April 30th of that year, Fish is in 3D. They're going to put out the movie from Festival 8. Um, on May 13th, Fish is going to be the musical guest on Late Night with Jimmy Fallon as part of the show's Rolling Stones Exile on Main Street Week. And so each, I didn't remember that this happened, but each night of the oh, week, yeah. a different band covered a song from one of the Stones album. It's very cool. Um, they're actually going to go back on June 9th as well and be on Jimmy Fallon again. And then on June 10th, uh, 2010, which is kind of interesting. We were just talking about this, but they are going to launch the first version of the Live Fish app. So thinking about like how much I use that app, it's crazy thinking that it was 2010 that they put it out. I completely forgot that that didn't exist in 2009. I you just you had to mm-hmm. download shows. A website yeah. like cavemen. Yeah. Mhm. Cavemen. Cave people, excuse me. <laughs> there you go. Um they're going to play 48 shows in 2010. They're going to start with this pretty big summer tour. It's going to have 29 shows, but it's kind of split into two chunks. I do want to say that one of my favorite episodes that I lived listened to during the pandemic was the HF Pod 2010 summer kind of like look back that you guys did it's pretty awesome that jonathan and rj jonathan looks surprised do you remember doing that jonathan uh, absolutely i do <laughs> rj told me that this was the first historical overview series that hf mm-hmm. has ever done what is going on <laughs> nope nope they did that and it was really great and well, that was an episode you got brad you've got matt yeah it's an episode and it's awesome episode. come on mm-hmm. Yeah, before this, we always did, uh, we covered shows in advance before they happened. (laughs) (laughs) This is a real switch up. (laughs) I don't understand why this is confusing to anyone. Anyway, okay, keep going, Megan. (laughs) Yeah, carry Um, on. Then we don't have much more. There's a fall tour with 15 dates in like Austin City Limits, Colorado, Charleston. They're going to end in the Northeast and they're going to do Halloween in Atlantic City, covering Little Feet's Waiting for Columbus. Mike is going to go tour in the fall and release an album called Moss. And, of course, they're going to end the year in Worcester and MSG for the first time playing on January 1st, but that's in the next year. And the MSG shows were available to stream for purchase. Yeah. First and then they released ca- a couple of webcast. first webcasts. It was the first one, right? Uh, they were oh, no, no, no. Excuse me. Webcast in the 90s, my friend. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're yeah, yeah. Right. There, were those, there were those dial-up webcasts from, what, Home Dell – Vegas, Radio City, a couple mm. others. Hell up. I had DSL. Company paid for it. <laughs> it was awesome. You lucky <laughs> Definitely duck. watched the Vegas one. So lucky. Um, but Brian, I want to know what was happening in the world in 2010. The world in 2010. Um, you know, let me just present a caveat. Um, 
if you vote for a political party based on a candidate and you like that political party and that candidate, you should show up and vote in the midterms because if you don't, things like 2010 will happen. That's what was going on in the world in 2010. Don't ever fucking do that again, guys. Remember that for 2024, okay? Uh, Television-wise, though, we had uh, some new prestige TV was expanding at this point in time. We had the first season of the show Treme, which uh, followed people in uh, New Orleans following Hurricane Katrina. The Pacific, the companion series to Band of Brothers, focusing on the Pacific Front in World War II. Two of my favorite shows, Mad Men and Breaking Bad, were entering seasons three and four. Boardwalk Empire launched uh, David Chase's follow-up to The Sopranos, where in which we learned truly how sexy Steve Buscemi can be. Uh, the final season of a show that I did not watch, but apparently a lot of people watched uh, Lost ended in 2010. I know that that was a huge deal. Another show I have never watched, but was a big deal launched that year, The Walking Dead. Uh, we're seeing like at this point in time, if you look at like the, uh, uh, you know, top viewed shows on television, like on cable television at this point, they completely are different from what people are watching on like prestige HBO showtime type of model. So it's like, we're starting to see the split towards streaming that will launch in this decade. Uh, movies. We've got uh, shutter Island with Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Martin Scorsese, really like wild psychological noir film. Uh, Greenberg, uh, Noah Baumbach, uh, winner's bone, the, the movie that introduced us to Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, an, that movie's so amazing good. Amazing actress. Oh, it's unbelievable. Um, Inception, the uh, one of the most enjoyable movie theater experiences I've ever had. I still have no idea what is happening at the end of that movie, but uh, I was I was just immerse me in dream world of Christopher Nolan. Uh, Easy A, the movie that gave us the first Emma Stone starring role. Amazing actor. Uh, the Town, Ben Affleck's gritty but ultimately disappointing ending uh portrayal of bank robbers in boston it was pretty my good my favorite though. it's I like a that great movie it's too. a really fun movie it's just i yeah. just i can't get over the ending the ending is too much let's just put a fucking bow on it everything's okay um sorry to spoil it to you guys there's some really good action uh really really cool cop uh, i think it's okay to movie. spoil things at this at this point With 13 years on um yeah exactly my, my favorite movie of the 2010s came out in early October 2010 called The Social Network. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg is one of my absolute favorite actors and he blew this movie apart and this like comments on social media and technology and community in such a fascinating way. Trent Reznor's soundtrack is unbelievable. Uh, The King's Speech won Best Picture, which proved once again the Oscars sometimes really suck. Uh, Natalie Portman won Best Actress for Black Swan. The Fighter came out, and Blue Valentine showed us that Ryan Gosling is, and I'm sorry, Meg, but he is one of the, he's probably the future of male acting in uh, modern Hollywood. Okay, I have to to stop. Wait, listen, I, if you knew anything about me, I was like the hugest Ryan Gosling fan forever. He is quite possibly one of the most beautiful men on the planet, but- I just felt like his performance in Barbie didn't match Margot Robbie's. That's all I'm saying. I think it wasn't that's right. the depth. It didn't have I think, the depth. I think you're right. I mean, I haven't I even seen the movie. I'm sorry. Job. Barbie outshines Ken no matter what, by default. He's Full just I think that of, was the idea, though, Megan. Is it was it yeah, just but, that, that was the idea? Yeah, that was the idea. But I just I think that there were times I didn't believe him. 
There were just mm-hmm. times I thought he was commenting on the role as opposed to like really living it. I think that there's some accuracy to that. I think you're absolutely right about that. I think that there a part of his part of the way he was written was basically to Lost say this is this is Ken and this is my view of being Ken versus right. like actually living it the way that Margot Robbie did. This will be Okay, a that's segment. true. Yeah. That's an interesting point that maybe it was written to be commented upon. Can we follow up on this next week? Because I'm definitely watching this this weekend. I mean, I you just, need you to know. watch this movie. I mean, you have to. I'm a busy man. We're it's going incredible. to hold now. this conversation for a year end, which will go through TV, music, and uh, <laughs> movies from 2023. Um, just finishing up here uh, with music. Number one song in America. Anybody know what was going on in uh, October 2010? Music. Is it like Anybody have any Drake idea? or something? Drake was so popular, right? Close. Take Care came out in 2010. Uh, it was Bruno Mars' Just The Way You Are, his uh, first mm. big, big song. Um, a lot of really good albums this year, though. All right? So just bear with me. I'm just going to get the most controversial one out of the way first, okay? It's still a fucking awesome album, even though this person has ruined his entire credibility and uh and everything about him in the years since but it's kanye west my beautiful dark twisted fantasy still my favorite I'm running album not of sure all time. you were gonna say something about ryan adams but because the <laughs> description applies kanye's worse <laughs> i think but i yeah uh another artist that has ruined his credibility and this was their last great album arcade fires in the suburbs um getting into some friendlier stuff here janelle monet's uh the Archandroid came out loved love that album mm-hmm. joanna newsom's have one on me uh, i uh, that is an immersive immersive experience uh flying lotuses cosmogramma uh i love everything that that dude touches. And this was my first, my introduction to his work. Uh, my two favorite albums of the year, the nationals high violet and deer hunters, halcyon digest. Uh, there are still sounds on halcyon digest that I've never heard in any other place and have made me re- like hear music completely differently. And that record sounds totally brand new and like a just raw experiment. Every time I listen to it, Jonathan, I know you commented on the last few times I've said stuff about deer hunters. So I do want to give you the microphone here. Oh, no, it's fine. I think you cover it well. I do quite like that album. I like it. Uh, it's paired as a double on my LP release. Mm. Um, anyways, yeah, it's great. It's great stuff. Really, really beautiful record. A uh, few more. LCD Sound Systems, This Is Happening, their supposed final record. Really, really good stuff. Robin's Body Talk, Beach House's Teen Dream, Owen Tricks Point Never, Returnal, um, the first record I ever listened to from him. Titus Andronicus's The Monitor, Gil Scott Heron's I'm New Here, The Walkman's Lisbon, Vampire Weekend's Contra, Emerald's Does It Look Like I'm Here for all of you zone heads out there that want to hear some just like deep, deep fucking zones. Emerald's Does It Look Like I'm Here, Lower Den's Twin Hand Movement, Spoon's Transference, Sufjan Stevens' The Age of Ads, the famous record where Sufjan Stevens says fuck. How to Dress Well, Love Remains. Woods at Echo Lake. Tame Impala Inner Speaker, back when Tame Impala played guitar. Neil Young. Can I, can I weigh in on please. this real quick? Okay, Woods at Echo Lake is probably one of my oh. top from that year, but Inner Speaker is killer, and I just want to get the big-time brag in that I ordered that record from from australia and have an og press of that i saw tame impala when they played the black cat in in oh uh 
Washington, D.C., tiny club. And the yeah. next time they came through, they were in a much bigger club and then now arenas and all that. And it was awesome. And it has never been as good. Never been also, as good. I've seen them a number of times since. Movie. It's never been as good. Uh, yeah, this record rules and made me think that we were hearing the future of indie rock uh, in 2010. And Kevin Parker no, went just, on to do some different pop. things. Yeah, a little different things. Uh, Neil Young's Lenoir, one of my favorite records, all reverb drenched. Daniel Lenoir produced Neil Young. Uh, Cite's Dream Get Together. Girls' Broken Dreams Club EP. I was really sad I couldn't talk about Girls' album last week. And then finally, the triple eps from james blake the bell sketch cmyk and claver work uh just amazing amazing stuff uh really really good year for music this was also the first year that i started making a top albums list and have done it successively every year since then so i was able to go through my itunes library the way that it's ranked in order uh which was quite fun to do and quite a nice trip down memory lane I think you mispronounced obsessively. I think you said successively. I think obsessively. Obsessively. Very obsessively. Jonathan, I'm just impressed that you were able to play the jaded music fan so quickly and seamlessly about Tame Impala. I mean, it's hard. It's <laughs> right great. Here. She's such a great character. What, can I ask you? Too. We're, we're going to obviously get to it in two episodes, but Jonathan, what are your thoughts on lonerism? Um, yeah. Okay. It, it, that, they, that's where they lost me. I mean, I like it's okay. It just didn't like blow me away like Inner Speaker or interesting. Yeah, I'm this big a fan, right here. Not big, right here, <laughs> close to hand. <laughs> All right. I do so just want to say, uh, sorry, oh, one last thing. Oh, just <laughs> one last thing. Just one last thing. Wow. The day, two days before Fish played their summer tour opener in Chicago, the Blackhawks beat the Flyers, which led to an amazing experience where every, like, most of the fans brought inflatable Stanley Cups to the stadium and started throwing them on the stage. And someone threw a t shirt that they had made that was Trey's face on the Chicago Blackhawks logo. <laughs> Trey's a giant Philadelphia Flyers fan. And he held it up to the audience and he congratulated Chicago Whoa. and he threw the Stanley Cups back in the audience. It was just a fun little gimmick and one of those kind of magical little fun uh, fish meets pop culture moments that I love. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. 
Go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash helping friendly. That's distrokid with a capital K dot com slash VIP slash helping friendly for a special offer. Thanks, DistroKid. And now, Jonathan, will you take us to... Is, is there more? Are we, no. I mean, gosh. I feel we're like going to here. We're wow. going to Utica. We, we have to. Okay, I've never wow. been to Utica, but there is this fish show that happened there on uh, 10-20-10. If you like weird number arrangements, that's one for you. Uh, or 10-20-20-10. Or if you're, you want to alphabetize 2010-10-20. Or get stop talking about this and get to the show. Um, so Wait, fish, but for a uh, minute, 10-20-20-10 is super amazing. Yeah, right. Yeah, cool number. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so I picked this show because it's rad. This is one of the top-rated shows for 2010. Um, I my feel for 2010 is that the the thing, the pass that I gave the band for all of 2009, which was they're back, play whatever you want. It's not going to be perfect because they haven't played in so many years. That pass was beginning to expire. Um, and but at the same time they were improving but it was in little like fits and you know so it wasn't across every show and so there are if you if you let yourself get down you'll find some low points in 2010 um mm-hmm. and there are high points um i saw a, some a couple decent shows i mentioned camden earlier that's got some good jamming i didn't really want to get into that and so i looked around and i found this one which is i think one of the high high points for the year um and if y'all want to make a case for any other show you I won't fight you. Um, but this one has one of the things that I really love. And one of the things that fish was able to do well, even back in 09. And we have it in the show that we covered last week, which is fun. They have so much yeah. fun, especially in this first set. Uh, the jams do not get deep, but they get interesting. And um, yeah, that's why I picked it. And uh, shall I read the first set? Do you guys want to fight me about I just want to say the second set rules Please. too. Second oh set yeah, rules. I'm not knocking the second set, but yeah. we call it Gaiutica because of the first set. And uh, and just so everybody knows, here's what the first set is. It opens with uh, My Soul, which is Rippin and RJ loves it. Uh, stealing time from the Faulty Plan, Vultures, Wolfman's Brother, Into Cities, and the Gaiuti. Then David Bowie, which is a big feature on this set. It's nice to have a Wilson into McGrupp, Saw It Again, into Antelope. That is kind of a packed first set. What did you guys think? Well, I think one of the points you made, I think everything you said was really accurate. Like this was a period where um, I remember online, there was a lot of, that tension between the people that were holding out hope that like these moments where the band would really connect were proof that them coming back meant that they were trying to recreate something new and other moments where there were accusations at this time being thrown around that the band was a nostalgia act. I never personally bought into that accusation, but it was being thrown around at the time because of those one step forward, two step back type of moments. What you keyed in on, Jonathan, though, was something that really carried the band, I think, up until basically Super Bowl, which was humor was the way into the magic with Fish. And this show totally has it. Um, this show, my 
immediate memory of this show for whatever reason i could not find a stream this night and i was just refreshing the set list on fantasy tour and with every set list refresh like 45 new threads would be created on the fantasy tour <laughs> forum of people just losing their goddamn mind because and as i was listening back to this like this show sounds slightly tame to today's standards just because of what we're used to from like any song can be played at any point in time jams go really deep wherever this shit did not happen. Like the Wolfmans in the cities, that did not happen. The David Bowie that has elements of Gaiuti and Wilson, and then they play Wilson, and that has elements of Gaiuti. The saw it again, it has a jam. McGrupp just being fucking thrown into the middle of the first set just because, hey, this is how you all know that you're at a classic show. The shit didn't happen, and people were losing their goddamn minds. And part of it was the night before they did a fuck your face Mike song mashup. And so like it was they're they're in the Northeast it's October. They're in small college basketball gyms and they're segueing in and out of some of their most famous songs. This shit at the moment felt like a throwback to 1994 and 1995. And for people like myself, it was the first time I'd ever seen anything like this and we were losing our minds. Good perspective. So that's what I thought of it. Megan? I think oh, uh, RJ. Go, no, go, go ahead, ahead, Megan. You can go ahead, RJ. I'll go up to you. I mean, with despite the horrible opener, the set is <laughs> <laughs> great. Yeah, I mean, you you can hate this song, thank you, thank and you, you do, but this is a hot rock version of the song. Trey is doing his damnedest to rock out. Yeah, on this he's song. trying to make the song good, which he almost he always does. does. He doesn't. He doesn't ever play the song bad. It's just not a good I song. I would be shocked if Trey didn't know how to play 12 bar blues. Let's just be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and he slays it. Come on. I think slays that um, the, if you're listening to this show, you wouldn't necessarily think it's a 2010 show. You know, from the the first, like the Stealing Time and the Vultures, and then the Wolfmans with this great vocal jam where they're just clearly all having fun. It just, it sounds more like a 2012, 2013 show than a 2010 yeah. show in, yeah. in my opinion. And I think there's, you know, the Gaudi is, is fun, but like even like the Bowie and the Wilson, I don't really know like what song they're playing or how to like, you know, there's just, there's so much going on. It's, it's really confusing in a good way and then suddenly they're like back and playing coyote again and then wilson and then they're playing bowie but really wilson then they actually play wilson <clears throat> and the mcgrupp i mean it's just in the the antelope to close the set it's a, a big it's a really well done version it's just it's a really fun fun set a lot of fun and i think probably probably the best show that they played this year although there are probably segments of other shows that are as good but like this is just a it's a great show like especially this set is just awesome yeah i think that's what it reminded me a lot of 2009 the show we talked about last year last week just like how much fun they're having they sound super loose they sound playful they sound relaxed and i think that they're doing stuff that would blow us away today i mean the stuff when they're doing between like the wilson and the bowie how they do the like lead up to wilson and then drop back into bowie and like they're using like the riffs from either song on top of each other. And it's just like mm -hmm. the dexterity that that takes is crazy. And they're doing it. They're having so much fun. And when Trey's like singing, like the, the lines from Gaiuti in Bowie and in Wilson, it's just like, it's, it's so playful. It does. It's like a throwback to the early nineties in a way that just feels 
Like it must have been crazy to be in the room and just be like, what is actually happening right now? I just feel like it's just so much fun to listen to. I think they sound like really tapped in and they're just like listening to each other and having such a great time. It's awesome to watch the the YouTube videos of this because they're just like, Trey just looks like he has like a huge smile on his face the whole entire set. He just looks like he's having an absolute blast. And I think that for them to come out and then play the set they do for set two is pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, this show, you talk about the YouTube videos that this show was released officially on DVD. Um, uh, not along with, but, um, right. Or I think right before, right after they released Alpine 2010 as well, those, yeah. both of those shows were released officially on DVD. And it was just kind of a clear sign of like where the band saw, their peak periods in the tour or in, in the year. And, um, you know, that Alpine show has a fantastic down with disease, a really strong first set. This show showed kind of the counter to that where there's no super deep jams, but like where they find that looseness that we now get from a Carini that opens a show and goes for 20 minutes or a pretty, you know, a beautiful, like 45 segment, you know, uh, in the second set with like three or four songs segue together. You got that here, in the band kind of tapping into that like gimmickry and that humor that really defined them as we talked through the 1980s when not as many people were paying attention and they were a college band. There wasn't as much on the line. It felt like they were tapping back into that energy here. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> they're just fucking around. If you'll excuse the expression, um, you know, they, I, I, I feel like the show is on track to be a normal to decent show until Gaiuti and they play Gaiuti and I think Gaiuti goes really well and I feel comfortable saying that on any given night in 2010 Gaiuti could have not gone really well uh, but mm-hmm. it did and I think they must have been feeling it the audience was giving it back to them because they they start David Bowie and then Trey just doesn't want to let go of Gaiuti, he's just happy about Gaiuti and the pig, and he's, you hear it in the intro, and then they bring, so they good. get through the song, they get they get down to the part where they might jam, and you know, and he's playing the dunce part, and the audience is with it. They immediately are like, oh, we're doing Wilson now, yeah, and they're right there on top of that, and that was so fun. There's um, there's also an it's iced tea somewhere in there. I don't remember where that was, uh, but you know, they're just having so much fun and like fluidly moving around and Trey is transposing Gaiuti onto every, every tune after they play Gaiuti throughout this set. Uh, just an absolute blast. This is the kind of ridiculous good times fish that I'm always on board for. And um, yeah, so that, <laughs> that that just smokes. Um, I just wanted to put up this quote from Incredible Perp because he said he was talking with his friends at the show about how prominent Paige's sound had become in 3.0 and it was very noticeable. And I noticed that at the show that I saw in 2010 too, Paige just sounded incredible. Yeah, I remember um, there was a lot of talk coming out of like Hampton 09 that he was the strongest, like his his performance was, was the strongest during that period. He had gotten... 
I feel like an additional keyboard or additional synthesizer at that point in time. I was really leaning into it in certain parts. He got the keytar in summer 09. He just was stepping out a lot of ways. This was around the period where Paige briefly became the spokesman for the band and would welcome everybody to the concert. <laughs> he was just like very much taken like more of like a front and center role in the band, both improvisationally. And I mean, oftentimes, you know, whenever Trey would kind of, yeah, he, he didn't have, um, that clarity that we get right now and a lot of his a lot of his lines where like it's very lyrical what he's playing but it's also like fully thought out you didn't get that as much then it was a lot more like washes of sound from trey and oftentimes what page would do would lead where the where the jams would go and um it was just it was really cool to hear and kind of listening to this type of stuff in succession with what we were listening to of the side projects during the hiatus really mm-hmm. kind of showcases because we talked a lot about how strong page sounded at that 07 show only three years later like fish's the main project for all of these guys again um they haven't really like they are still figuring out who they are in conjunction with where fish is at and page was at such a high level at that point in time musically i want to yeah, say out of, the, out of the i'll just say this quickly jonathan out of the Please. six debuts that were original this year halfway to the moon is the only one that's hung around i want to say that uh, this might be around the time when mike would start demurring when people want to interview him about fish when he's getting ready to do a solo tour. This might've been around the time when Mike was like, well, you know, yeah, I still do fish, but I, I am also, you know, I am this, you know, which is interesting. Um, that's like, you know, me, I don't know. Is it like me saying, well, I mean, I, I also work on computers, but I'm a podcaster, you know, um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Come on, Mike. But uh, I feel like Mike's recommitted, but uh, I definitely page just from before the beginning page was ready in Hampton. Oh nine pages came out and he knew Mm -hmm. all his stuff. I don't know if he kept secret charts aside that he could practice because I, I do know that there were songs that they had to learn from tapes or cds or whatever ipods or something but um he he was always he was ready and uh and remains to this day do we want to get into set two let's do it yeah so set two uh starts very early aughts with drowned into sand theme from the bottom axilla into birds Tila into split open and melt into have mercy into Piper into split open and melt into slave to the traffic light. And the encore is good times, bad times. Yeah, you're right, Megan. This, this second set is strong. It's really strong, particularly that's, you know, the, the latter half of it. Um, but the first part's pretty good too. Would you t- yeah. Tell us your yeah, thoughts I mean- on it. And sand gets really funky. It sounds effortless. I love how it kind of deteriorates and theme kind of like emerges out of it. This is the wrong axilla, but it still has really great energy. And I like <laughs> axilla and birds. At the time, like it felt like spot. the only axilla. It felt like the only one, but it's the wrong one. Um, but I love like axilla and birds like in this spot. It's like keeps the energy going. You know, birds has like a nice little like type one peak. And then Tila just like, okay, we're just going to play Tila because we played McGrupp too. And like, everybody's like, this is the best ever. But then this whole like split open and melt sandwich that you've got here is awesome. It's so beautiful. This split open and melt gets so dreamy. And then Trey just like 
I haven't listened to this since 2010, and I kind of forgot what happened. And like when Trey starts singing Have Mercy really slowly, it's so beautiful. It's breathtaking. Paige joins in. It's just really, really gorgeous. This jam is amazing. And then the flow into Piper just seems totally inevitable. It's like it, you knew it was going to happen. It's just, it's it's so great. And even though Piper's really fast, you know, the intro is really, really fast, It's it gets pretty like trippy. They're quoting birds of a feather. It gets like swirly and psychedelic. And then you hear Fishman start playing Split Open and Melt Again, and they're just like, they're back in it. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah, I looked it up. Uh, Jonathan's right. A very familiar opening to the set, too. Uh, Drowned opened seven second sets in 2009 and 2010. <laughs> it has opened 14 total in 3.0, 4.0 era, uh, the last being 730 2017, which is a very good version of Drowned, if you mm. know that. But um, this was like peak period where it was like you could bet on either Drowned or Rock and Roll opening a second set, and you were more, down than, with more than not. Or down with disease, and you were more often than not right. Uh, that plinko jamming in sand that kind of, um, kind of, you know, previews what we'll get out of. Uh, I think it's either the sand or the runaway gym from um, uh, the MSG show. They, there's this great plinko jam in uh, the New Year's Eve show that will kind of like carry over into summer 2011. Um, to your point, Meg, like the split up and melt, have mercy, Piper split up and melt. This is more of that throwback to 94 95 type of vibe and it really is fitting that we're in like a rust belt town in uh in you know western new york on yeah. a damp october night just listening to this band like you know mess around as though they're playing in a college with you know people just traveling around and no press no you know uh no kind of like pressure on them at that point in time my thought when the because I, I hadn't listened to this in a long time either and i listened to this a ton when it came out i listened to this a ton during that era the intro to Have Mercy reminds me a lot of the Oh Holy Night from Holes Night in the Baker's Dozen. Yeah. And it mm-hmm. just has that kind of like creepy beauty that they tap into during that where it shouldn't get this quiet or this pretty at a rock yeah. show, but there's also like this weird dissonant space behind them. And it just, it sounds very eerie. I mean, that is 94 fish to me. Like that sort of, everything shuts off. There's like weird sirens going on. And then they come in with something very pretty and almost, um, uh, you know, childlike. Like the melody to "Have Mercy" sounds like something that you've heard a thousand times, even if it's the first time you've heard it. Um, and I just like kept thinking, re- listening back to this, like this didn't happen. Like they did not drop into this sort of musical space in a rare song out of the middle of another jam and then go into a different jam song. And then back, like these sandwiches did not happen during this period in time. It was so exciting to hear it in the moment and going back to it. It just makes me think about like the foundational steps that this band followed in early 3.0 to ultimately get to where they are today. And there's still constant evolution and constant learning but like you hear them at this point in time, they're only 75 to 80 shows into the return. They're only 18 months into this project being back. You know, for Trey, from a personal standpoint, he's still very close to everything that happened. For these guys, like every single show is kind of a, is this still going to work thing? And to think about this show in context with the Fuck Your Face show from just under two years later, Magna Ball, the Baker's Dozen, like you can hear the building blocks towards that band ultimately. Um, 
by playing shows like this, by taking risks like this, by having moments that really excited people, both listening and I have to imagine excited them on stage. Good. I mean, I like that they left the Gaiuti thing in the first set and just, yeah. and like, totally. you know, started fresh in the second set. And this is a totally different show, really. I mean, it, it, it makes a whole show, but it's just a different kind of approach with much more improv and, and it just shows a looseness, like you guys have said. I mean, I think looking back on it now, I don't know if I knew this at the time, but it feels like 2010, like they, they kind of got a, 20, 2009 was a little bit intense, I think, because it was, there was like, there was, everything was coming back, like you were saying, Brian, but, but it's also like, I don't know, I think at this point, what I hear in this show is just like, they're, they're grateful that they're playing in front of people, but I also just feel like they are back to being like, we're just going to do whatever and the fans are going to be fine and it's going to work. Um, which I think 2009 yeah. was a little bit hit or miss in that way. They just feel very comfortable. And it just, some of this jamming is really, is, is pretty organic and really, really cool. 2009 felt a lot like a service, like what you're talking about, where it was a lot, they knew a lot of people were coming back to seeing the band for the first time. Like every show that they played, there was a chance that a certain population of the crowd was seeing them for the first time since 2.0 or since the nineties. This felt like, this tour specifically felt like structurally the the location of where the shows were that the band was allowing themselves to just kind of play without pressure and play kind of just as themselves. And as a result, you got just a lot of hijinks. You got a lot of creativity. Um, you got a lot of intra-band communication, even though the jams aren't going super long or super deep. There's a lot happening within the music at this point in time. Yeah, this, um, I, I, I want to, speak to what happened in the second set a little bit myself before uh before we get on to like final overview takeaways or whatever uh because i do enjoy the drowned sand intro you know set opener combo it, it's it's pretty dynamic we get a little that plinko um uh i love the tila after birds of a feather speaking of page sounds beautiful there and then the call to go to melt is just fish just hits the end of the drum beat. I'm sure Trey probably was like melt or whatever, however he called it. But anyways, fish starts it up and it, I'm just like, yes, <laughs> driving in my car. I listened to this the other day. I was just like, yeah. And I, a thing I do, and I don't know if you guys do this, but when I go back and listen to these shows for this or a lot of things, you know, I might look at the set list before I hit play but then I'm not looking at it while I'm listening. So I kind of forget what's coming and I don't know the sequence. And like, I know there's a Piper there somewhere, but uh, when they slid into have mercy, I was just, I was kind of floored. This is gorgeous. Yes. This is, this is how have mercy supposed to appear anyways. Um, And when it does, it's just glorious. And, uh, and then, yeah, um, I am going to probably stop complaining about pipers that don't slow build in the current era because uh, this last one last week and this week, yeah, when they build like a punch in the face is, you know, this is better. We're, we're, we're in a better place now. Um, but the piper You're slammed into it here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it <laughs> off, goes back into uh, melts 
which takes us into, I think, a pretty lovely finish on uh, Slave. And I think, I don't know if it's consensus, but I think most people agree that when Fish plays good times, bad times, it's either this show's been a slop fest, but we enjoyed it, or this show's ripped and it's been fun. Um, it's somewhere Either good in times the or bad times. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think this is the latter one. I think they they walked off having had a great time. And I, I know the audience did. And I did at home just now. I think, um, Jonathan, just on that um, slave, I heard like some really awesome interplay between Trey and Mike in that jam. That was like mm-hmm. yeah. really mm-hmm. nice. Um, maybe that yeah. happens a lot in slave and I just don't notice, but I it, it stuck out to me for sure. I mean, I think it's one of the main components of slave that the mic is definitely taking some kind of semi lead stance or playing off Trey's uh lead but 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 that reminded me that um you know it's easy to listen to this show and just give all the credit to trey for fucking around with gaiuti in the first set but there is definitely some bits where uh i heard uh mike teasing the gaiuti uh melody uh later after the after the song and so shout out like everybody was in on the gag i guess so it's fun to hear oh there was some nice symmetry between closing this show with led zeppelin and closing last week's show with the beatles at some point the only thing to do in the encore you know you're going to play a 90 minute first set an 80 minute second set you have time for one song just play to your idols uh you know play to your heroes and just let that kind of speak to the level of musicianship well, plus, aren't we in a run-up to a Halloween where nobody knows what they're going to play? So oh, good point. Every yeah. every cover yeah. is like taken as, oh, dude, they're gonna they're gonna play Zeppelin <laughs> this year, you know? Um, Which they would they would fuck around with on ten thirty. That's one of the bit later, one of the yeah. shows that uh, that has like um, uh, you know it kind of feels like a cousin of this show with the uh, who's on the list chalk dust picking. Um, a uh, whole lot of love, chalk dust, and then the second set that's got a whole Zeppelin mashup. There was kind of a sense during that period that Zeppelin was finally going to happen. I think Waiting for Columbus was probably the right pick, though, because that was a really good, that was a good uh, uh, Halloween performance. Waiting for Columbus. And then we should, the RJ's making a face. We should talk about that as we talk about Halloween just a tiny bit, because I mean, Little Feet is a band that clearly informs Fish. Yeah. Uh, oh, Bill yeah. Payne yeah. is a player definitely informed particularly younger page um that's why you know when i missed the page mcconnell the 2007 episode i i I knew that he would be okay with me missing his episode because i was going to see little feet that night um he approved yeah he did he told us and i i think that was a great pick i know it is not high on the audience ratings but that's too bad i love the album i enjoy fish's performance of it and Bill Payne was really stoked that they did it when I talked to him on Broke Down Pod. So that's awesome. Good. I'm glad. I mean, eh, eh, I think it's fun. Um, but I'm glad that all that stuff happened for you and to you, Jonathan. <laughs> so does anybody else have any takeaways on? This I just really wanted to see. Go? I just really wanted to see Fish cover Led Zeppelin. I mean, how fucking hard is that? Yeah. You know. You have surely you have I, seen them cover some Led Zeppelin. Not the not all the physical graffiti. Oh, no, they no. should be. <laughs> no, 
It's like my one Halloween. At the end thing. of the series, we are going to get into our specific gripes and desires. Yes, it's my yeah. only episode. It's literally my only one. That and and possum and my soul. Being <laughs> played too much. I, Look, I just want possum so they don't have to do any other Skinnerd covers. <laughs> I just want to give a quick shout out to a couple additional moments from this year because mm-hmm. uh as we've noted there are a lot of that hits and misses but um this tour specifically if you uh, out there are not familiar with it if you enjoy this show i'm sure that most people have heard this show i'd recommend checking out 1016 set to 1019 set to specifically the light my favorite jam of 2010 uh and 1026 which fish utilized as a um uh dinner movie uh in during the covid period which has a ton of bust outs in it a really good version of light as well um and then technically not 2010 but part of the 2010 new year's run the one 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 show did i get that all right oh November i was at that show numbers doesn't the, count uh, january we'll 1st, let you talk about him because of all the yeah. cool numbers uh, very cool numbers, really good show, great vibe. The band had never played a New Year's Day show before, as Megan noted, and it just like it had that kind of exhausted, uh, but like kind of blissful New Year's Day type of feel, where the party was the night before. We're all getting together. It's a little chill, but it's like you're hanging with the really good people because of the people you can hang out with in sweatpants and eat uh, queso <laughs> at two o'clock in the afternoon while watching college football. That was the vibe of this show. Really, It was good, not really chill for show. me. It was not chill for me. It was not a chill night for me. We will hear um, about that in the 20th. Yeah. I, I got to do this. <laughs> I was there. It was, I was there it was also, Megan. Something crazy happened. I what wish were we were there together, RJ. from that show, RJ? None. None. It was great. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was a novelty. Um, actually, do you want... <laughs> Do you- <laughs> I've told you guys the story about the guy in front of us during that show who, okay, this is a very quick story, I promise. There was a guy in front of us who I was with Rachel and my, and my, our friend Mary, and um, the guy in front of us was, was tripping and basically like was convinced that he couldn't get out of the seat. Like the seat had closed, you know, on his leg and... <laughs> Like anyone who's like not tripping, like you can get out of those easily, you know, even if you have like a weird shaped foot or the seat is like, they're, they're designed to not be. So the the problem was this happened to him during the Reba jam and it was like, oh no. It would at first Rachel tried to like help him, you know, cause that's what she does. And he's like, thank you. And then, and Anyway, it went on for like 15 minutes. The security had to come down and there were a bunch of guys with flashlights. They unscrewed the seat and Oh my god, that's outrageous. Like, ultimately carried this guy out because he was still with, then he was convinced with seat he attached. I hope so. <laughs> no, but they un, they detached the seat, but he was convinced that he couldn't move and he ended up calling, telling Rachel she was the devil and um like all that happened during Rebo, which was just like not not great, you know, like during, Not you know, cool. if it was during round room Certified or something, like, that's fine, but man, it was so weird. And we were just, I mean, we didn't, you know, we weren't upset. We were, we were concerned for him, but, um, that was, You've been there. Was, you get it. You're empathetic. I, yeah. I mean, not, not yeah. that, not that far. No, enough. that's very confused. I, no. I just want to know what the security Rachel. said over the radio. Like, Hey, we need a drill down here. This guy thinks his leg is caught in the chair. Yeah. I think, I stuck think, in I think chair. security thought he was stuck because I think maybe yeah. they weren't like, they didn't think what I thought, which is like, all right, obviously this guy's like He's on, tons on of way drugs. too many drugs. I think they were like, we have a, yeah. we have a, we have a situation. Um, anyway, you guys don't have well, to worry. Have to he d- just I took have... too many 
any drugs. It's okay. Was that you, Megan? I have to decide. No, I. but I was kind of close to that. I have to decide if I'm Reba actually going to publicly tell this story. I, I have you to, could sit on to it decide. until 2011. I have to decide if I'm going to tell this story in public because it is so embarrassing. So I'm going to think about it. I'll let you know next week. Cliffhanger. Right. Yeah. I do just want to, since we're sharing drug-related <laughs> anecdotes, um, I'd like to share a drug-related anecdote from the days when I <laughs> took a lot of drugs. Uh, I was at Deer Creek with my wife and a bunch of our best friends and my brother. And my brother had lawn tickets and I had pavilion tickets. And we split up our drugs, ate them very quickly, and the line going in like too quickly because they all kind of hit like very, like like immediately. And couple songs in the show i was like shit i gotta get my brother down to our seats and i swear to you i turned around and looked at this like sea of people on the lawn and it was like the entire world split apart and i just saw my brother like in this goofy ass purple t-shirt and his pink sunglasses with this giant smile on his face just dancing and i grabbed my wife's ticket like pushed people aside like beelined right for him grabbed him pulled him down to our seat we had a great show. Second set was super wild. And coming out of Dogface Boy, he just turns to me and goes, Hood. And like two seconds later, Fishman goes, Ba-da-ba, And like I looked at him like he could just like see the future. And I gave him this giant hug and started crying into him. And it was like still one of my favorite Harry Hoods ever, <laughs> even though it's like nine and a half minutes and pretty unremarkable. Like you cannot tell me that that is not one of the best Harry Hoods they've ever played. That's awesome. Uh, I wish we had done these stories earlier in the show, but I hope people are still listening. And (laughs) and if you are still listening, thank you. And also, I should have said earlier, um, Mike Gordon did an interview with Rhett Miller this week on Rhett Miller's podcast, which is called Wheels Off. And you all should check it out. It's a great conversation about all kinds of stuff. Uh, Mike is a good... He's, he's a good interview. He's, he's done a couple recently. Um, so you should check that out. Um, is there anything else we need to tell people besides we'll be back next week? We'll be back next week. 2011 yeah. fish. Uh, uh, you know, maybe subscribe to Osiris, Osiris premium. Yes. Um, we're going to do some more uh, bonus episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, RJ and I have a date tomorrow. We do. Uh, to do some, a record in and, uh, and there's all kinds of content and, I don't know what else you get when you do it, but uh, RJ can tell you right many things now. Many things. So many things. Ad-free, ad-free bonus content and supporting what we do. Thanks, Jonathan. Sure. Um, thanks, everybody. Thanks, Megan. Thanks, Brian. Thank Bye, you. y'all. Thanks, guys. Bye. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. 
So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com, and I'll see you there. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.